In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Hey guys, this is Jim Ramos with Men in the Arena. What you're about to listen to is a message I gave to a local gathering of men. I thought you might like to listen to this even if you weren't at the actual event. And so I hope you enjoy this bonus episode on the Men in the Arena podcast. So I, I, I met uh, some new guys today, uh, several, uh, several new ca- some guys have Catholic backgrounds. Anybody have a Catholic background in here? So I do, uh, I say once Catholic, always Catholic. But I'm going to tell you about my first and last confession. So I was in a catechism class. We called it CCD. It was an all-boys class. We went, through, we went through nuns like I go through Burger King, Whoppers at Burger King. I mean, we just ran through these nuns. And we finally had this one nun that could handle us, right? And one of the things she decided she would do to handle us is she said, we're going to load you guys up and we're going to take you to confession. So we got up, we, we went down to the old mission in San Luis Obispo, where I'm from, and we, we lined up in this uh, hallway, and then there was a room, probably a, you know, like a, a, a room, like a normal-sized room. And if you're born and raised Catholic, you realize that when you go to confession, you sit in this booth, and there's a, like a wood screen, and the priest is over here, and you never really look at the priest, right? Well, this first confession, this is like big time. So I walk into the room, and this 40-year-old priest is sitting in the middle of the room in a chair looking at me. And so I have to sit down in the chair across from him, and I'm prompted to say to this Catholic priest, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I'm seven years old. I mean, I'm playing with the Hot Wheels like Wyatt that I met today at Grain Station. So he said, well, yes, my son, what have you done wrong? And I'm going, man, I'm seven. I'm, I'm like... So I start going through my stuff, right? Well, I'm pretty sure I was mean to my little brother and my little sister. And I'm pretty sure I, was, I disrespected and disobeyed my parents. And oh yeah, I got hit by a yellow pinto. And I, I didn't tell my parents. If it was a Mustang or a Bronco, but it was a pinto, and you, it's not like getting hit by a real car. It's like owning a dog this big and thinking it's actually a dog. It's actually a cat. Anyway, so sorry about that little dog, guys. Anyway, so I went through my mantra and I walked out and I never really did that again. And later in life, uh, I became a Christian, and I thought, oh, that's stupid. You know, I don't have to go confess to another person. I'm just going to confess to Jesus. But as I've gotten older and older, I've realized there's something to having a confidant in your life that you can share your struggles with. I would go as far as saying it may be the greatest thing the church has. Maybe the greatest thing as believers that we do is we share our lives with each other like you're doing around this table today. So, not every year, but many years, I develop a theme around my life. I say, okay, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to really work on? And this one passage of scripture kept coming up. Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the scribes about not cleaning the cup, the inside of the cup. 
And so I just felt real strongly that God wanted me to have a theme this year called Clean a Cup. So I have a briefcase. It's sitting right there. And everywhere I go, I have this cup and this carabiner clipped to it. And it, I don't know what, I, it's banging, always banging on metal. Everywhere I go, it's like... I was in the coffee shop today, and there's these four Hispanic ladies that meet every, they're there every day. And then I came in like, man, what are you doing? You know, it's like, that's so loud, you know. And uh, they said it in a feminine voice. <laughs> it didn't sound like, you know, Cheech and Chong. You know, but I was like, I'm like, man, I'm just, I, it's, I didn't want to say anything to them. But my theme is clean the cup. So I'm just carrying this cup around. It drives my wife crazy. I was in Alabama three weeks ago, and they were calling me out because I didn't pack the cup. So I'm, I'm like, okay, so... I'm just carrying this around as a mnemonic device, and there are four areas in my life that I want to work on. In fact, I shared a fifth one today with John. So my marriage is always one I want to work on. I want to work on moral purity. I want to work on financial security. I want to work on relational. I want to make sure I keep short accounts and don't hold grudges, and I want to make sure that I'm taking care of my physical body. So those are things I'm really wanting to focus on this year so that the outside matches the inside. And it's so easy to have our outside look one way and our inside look different. And so I want the same guy that you guys see to be the same guy that my wife sees. The same guy my kids see. And the tool that I am using this year to clean the cup, the weapon I am using this year to clean the cup is confession. That's the primary weapon. I'm just like putting it out there to people. I'm, I'm trying to be open and authentic with my life. We live in a world where a lot of men, a lot of leaders are fake. And, and maybe they've been wounded in the past, or maybe they are prideful, but there's this thing, I call it the sin of self-preservation, where I am more concerned about looking good to you than, than I am about being good to him. So this year, I'm going, okay, God, I mean, I feel like I'm generally pretty, pretty good about being authentic, but I'm like, okay, God, I really want you to work on this with me. I want you to deal with these areas that I need to deal with. I need to clean up. I mean, when I walk in the room, obviously, I've got some diet issues, right? I mean, so, I mean, how do we clean these things up? So I'm going, our church is going through a series uh, by Richard Foster. He wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline in 1983. And he talks about these 12 spiritual disciplines. And so I uh, picked the topic to speak on confession because I'm working on this. And in his book, he talks about confession. It's really interesting. It's listed, confession, he lists confession as one of the 12. Yet like so many spiritual leaders, he kind of discounts his own aspect of practicing this discipline. And so he said this in his book, although I had read my Bible about the ministry of confession, I had never experienced it until I was pastoring my first church. And he went on to say that he never really had sin in his life, he just wanted more power. And I'm kind of going, BS, bro. We all have sin in our life. And the Bible says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And so I want to be a guy, and, and when I read this, I go, this is powerful stuff, but how can we implement this in our own lives. And so when I clean the inside of the cup through confession, I, I got to share, it's, it's really two things, guys. It's between me and God, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to Father but through me. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But then in Matthew 18, Jesus said, wherever two or more of you agree in my name, I am there with you. So we realize that confession is a private Discipline between me and God. Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, right? But it's also a, a corporate or a public display through brothers 
being confidential with each other. Does that make sense? So this is really an interesting thing, this thing called confession. And so I got up last night at midnight and I thought, you know what I, I didn't do when I spoke up to my church about this, the church I attend? I didn't define confession. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you what I believe when I think of biblical confession. Here's what I'm thinking about. This isn't in the dictionary. I checked. My definition's different. This is my definition, right? So it's, if I put it on the internet, it'll be fact. Or if I put it on CNN, it'll be fact, right? No, I'm just kidding. So, or Fox, whatever. So here, here's my definition. It's the sh- confession is the sharing of one's struggles, temptation, and sin with a trusted believer in Jesus in order to find forgiveness, healing, and redemption. Martin Luther in the 1500s said, when I admonish you to confess, I'm admonishing you to be a Christian. That's powerful stuff. So I want to dive deeper tonight. We're going to look in uh, Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 26. Very, very simple passage. And just share some things that I think about when I'm thinking about cleaning the cup in 2023. Father, just thank you for this night and these guys. Thank you for the many guys who I met tonight who've never been here before. Thank you for what you're doing, God. And even after we speak to these guys and before we go to messages, when Jeff reads his confession to the group, I just pray that you would uh, use that mightily as we're just authentic and real and raw. And God, it's so, it feels so light to be authentic without a facade or a veneer or things to hide. So God, help us in our own world, among our own peers and confidants to be men who are authentic, real, men who you put on display for you without fear or regret or shame because we're living out our best version before you in Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew 23, verses 25, I'm a uh, New American Standard guy. So here we go. He said, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup first and the dish so that the outside may become clean also. So I want to talk about this sin. I call it the sin of self-preservation and how confession helps to break through that. So if you look at verse 25, and this is interesting. I mean, I've been in full-time ministry for 35 years. There are three of my friends are in the room. One is my own pastor. One is my accountability partner. I met another pastor buddy tonight from the Yamhill area. And uh, this is written, he's speaking to spiritual leaders here. So that's important. He's speaking to pastors. He's speaking to spiritual leaders. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And here's what I thought about that statement. You know, cleaning the inside of the cup through confession is something that we hear a lot about, but I don't think it's practiced a lot by spiritual leaders like myself. I think the problem with guys like you in the church not willing to confess and really deal with your stuff is because me, guys like me in the church, aren't willing to do that. Because we've been wounded, we've been betrayed. You know, you share things with your layman and they turn on you. I mean, a lot of these things happen. And so a lot of times our own pastors, or sometimes pastors just arrogant, blankety blanks. Isaiah 5.18, though, says this. You know, and I I think that a, a confession can be the Achilles heel, not only of pastors, but of you guys and me. I think it's a problem with us guys. It really, really is. You get in a room with women, they're just confessing back and forth. You're like, how do you do that? But guys are like, what's up? 
and we get and I call it the redneck pissing contest. Everybody's got to, you know, say how they're better at this and that, and nobody's willing to say anything. And I just think that's an Achilles heel, guys, for us. Isaiah 5.18 says, What sorrow for those who drag their sins behind with ropes, made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So George Barna researched that if men have one confidant, one other dude, not their wife, one other dude that they, are, they share their struggles with, they have three times the satisfied, more satisfied life than those who don't. Three times. Three X. It reminds me of this guy. He's laying in bed, right? He has no confidence in his life. He's laying in bed, and he wakes up in the morning. It's Sunday morning, and he rolls over, and he tells his wife, he goes, hey, I'm not going to church. In fact, I've decided I'm never going to church again. And she's stunned. They've been going to church for years. He, and this guy has nobody. She's, I've never shared this with anybody. I don't feel comfortable sharing this with anybody. I, I only feel safe sharing with you. I'm done with church. The sermons are boring. The music is weak. And the people are judgmental. And she said, you're, you're going to get your butt out of bed. And you're going to church. I'm going to give you two reasons why. He goes, why? Number one, you're a 45-year-old man. Deal with it. Number two, you're their pastor. <laughs> yeah, hey, come on, man. Pat, we have these same problems, right? John, I, Kim told me that story. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I mean, this is what I'm saying, that this is the single, I believe this is the single greatest discipline, that if we reject it, it could ruin our lives. It could ruin our lives. Look right. Look right. There they are, right there. There's your bros. Okay. All right. The Linfield football guy is coming in there. I, I'm, I'm the chaplain guy. So, so let's examine verse 25 closer. He says, he says, for you clean the outside of the cup, but that's, that's all you do. You clean the outside. So cleaning the inside of the cup through confession, this is beautiful to me. It releases outside facades, religious legalism, and what I call Phariseeism, which is this superiority complex, which is I'm better than you. It releases that, and it gives us the confidence to live in full display. Don't, don't you want to just walk around and just say, I don't have any secrets? I don't have any bondages? You know, we've got Pure Desire that Todd's leading a part of that helps guys with sexual freedom. We've got John over here. He's got a group called the, um, I always call it the Freedom Class, but it's called something else. Freedom Class. Freedom Class. Original Design? Encountering freedom, dealing with who God made you to be. I mean, we have so many different groups that help us as men to walk in full display, right? The, but the pride of self-preservation, is it's rooted in this thing I call self-exaltation. And Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this is interesting. Have you guys heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Jesus, Dietrich Bonhoeffer planted a church in Germany during Hitler's reign. The name of his church, anybody know the name of his church? The, who knows? You knew that? That's, you get bonus points. Free coffee for you. His church was named the Confessing Church. He ended up going to jail for plotting to assassinate Hitler, and I think he was killed and he was, um, he was hung. So this, be, so this guy stood against evil when nobody else would stand against evil. He said this, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. 
He experiences the presence of God in the reality of, other, of the other person. Now, this is powerful to me. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, in other words, just me and God. As long as I am by myself in the confessions of sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of her brother, the sin is being brought into light. And I was sharing about an oxen. If you take an oxen and you, you hook that oxen up to a yoke and you have that oxen pull weight, that oxen is capable of pulling four tons of weight, 8,000 8, pounds of weight. So an oxen will pull on average 8,000 pounds, four tons of weight. But if you take two oxen and you yoke them together, they don't pull eight tons of weight, they pull 22 tons of weight. The synergy, the synergy of these two animals coming together produces by far more power. And I believe that's true when you have a bro in your life that you can just say, man, I've got, pro I've got, I got struggles. I'm struggling with my marriage. I got in a fight last night with Shanna. It was the stupidest thing ever. She got mad at me over something, that, and I was like, what? I slept in another bed last night. That happened last night to me. And I'm telling John this morning, I go, man, I, I got a great marriage. Something unraveled last night. And he gave me the marriage speech, and now our marriage is perfect again. You know, I mean, but I mean, but you know, I mean, but I'm like, man, that was just last night for me. I don't ever sleep. In, um, I mean, I don't ever do that. And I was like, well, I'll screw you. I'm not, you know, that's last night. And I'm, I'm like a spiritual leader of men, right? You know, but I'm telling you this, right? And, but see, to me, for me to say that to you, and for you to, me to say that to John, does it bring shame upon me? Does, you might look at me less. I don't care. Because I'm going to be who I am. And I'm going to have the marriage that my marriage, I mean, we work on our marriage, but it is a marriage. And no marriage is perfect. But there's a synergy that we have when we come together. And we have people in our lives that we can share our lives with. That's the beauty of it. You know, Jesus said, this is how they will know that you're my disciples, that you love one another. Right? And I'm not saying sitting around a fire singing kumbaya. I'm saying, it's saying, hey, bro, how's your, how are you doing, man? I mean, your wife died two weeks ago. Is it two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? Five, five weeks ago? You know, that's, that's real and raw. And to ignore that with a brother is shameful. So we, we bring that out to the light and come, you know, right? Jesus said, inside they are full of robbery and indulgence. Verse 25. Cleaning the inside of the cup with confession aligns my public self with my inner self. There, an alignment happens. My public persona and my inward come into being. I don't have to walk around going, oh man, I better act like I have the perfect marriage, or I better act like I have the perfect kids, I better act like I have the perfect health. It brings these things into alignment. My friend Dwayne Pickett, he's a black preacher in Mississippi, he said this, and it, it just wowed me when I heard him say this. We were in New, uh, where were we, Boston maybe? Anyway, somewhere over there speaking. He said, sometimes our charisma can take us further than our character can keep us. And that bothered me. Because I, I had to go, man, Ramos, you better get your character better catch up with your charisma. Our desire as men must be greater than our desire to please others. Isn't that hard to do? Like, my desire to please men, to please God, has to be greater than Jeff Van Dyke thinking I'm a cool guy. If I, if I am more concerned about Jeff thinking I'm cool than Jesus, who knows my heart, I've got a, I've, I'm out of alignment. 
So I need to make sure those are in alignment. Jesus, in Matthew 6, and this is out of the Jesus story, he said, if your body is filled with light with no dark corners anywhere, it will be completely illuminated. And I love Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote in 12, 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing. When I launched this ministry 11 years ago now, we were in a coffee shop with 15 dudes. And I remember praying this prayer, God, if you can take a bunch of redneck, hillbilly, duck-making fools from Monroe, Louisiana, and make them a household name for you, I'm going to step out in faith and say, do that with our ministry. So I started praying. I call it a duck dynasty prayer. I started praying that prayer 11 years ago with 15 guys in a coffee shop. It's really asinine when you think about it. Like, God can't do that. About two, three or four months after we launched, I went to a, a church planters conference, and the speaker said, what if God really does answer your prayers? Like, what if all the things you've been praying for come true? And I thought of the Duck Dynasty prayer, and I told my small group, it would ruin my life. If God answered my prayers, it would ruin my life. I would be arrogant. I would probably have a moral failure. I don't know. It would ruin my life. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for it. Then I remember Solomon. Solomon, the wisest leader ever to live, until he had a thousand wives. When he was building his cabinet, he, in, in 1 Kings 4, 5, one of his cabinet leaders was a dude named Zabud. That's a great name for your kid. No, it isn't. And if you look at your Bible, that guy's role was friend. He had him on his cabinet, and his whole role was his buddy. You're going to be the guy who has my back. You're going to be the guy who sees if the king doesn't have any clothes on, you're the guy who's going to tell him, you've got my back. You've got my six. And I think that was a game changer. So when we launched our ministry, we created a board position for that. And that board, and those, that board member meets with me every week. And then every six months when our board comes face to face, and Mike Goins back there is the chairman of the board, they sit down, they hear the story of my accountability guy, and they decide whether or not they're going to fire me. If they decide not to fire me, they decide to support me in every way they can. Right, Mike? Am I telling the truth? Okay, so the way things had morphed, and so I, I, my, we lost that board position. That board position moved away, still on the board, but moved away. So I said, I need a guy that I can do that with. So I've asked John Palacios, John right here. He's the pastor at Northwest Harvest. John and I meet every Wednesday, and I mean, I just kind of, we have a great time. It's entertaining, right? I'm pretty entertaining. He like, gets to hear all the garbage, right? And he still likes me. And then he reports to the board with a letter where I'm at. And, and we do that. And so we do that because I realize that I want to align the inside and the outside. And I realize if God really does do what I think he can do. And last year, I don't know if you know this, but our ministry reached 2% of America. That's 7 million people. That's a lot more than 15 guys in a coffee shop. I'm walking around places nowadays and people come up to me and say, are you that guy? It's really, really weird. And I just kind of laugh because I think it's funny because I really don't care because God has done a work in me through guys like John Palacios. And so I praise God for that. So that's, that's kind of my story there. But if you look at this confession, it really, the thing about confession that really blesses me as a man, and we'll close here, is it's really a reminder. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, you blind, you can see Jesus here. He's kind of going, come on guys, you blind Pharisees, you guys clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may become clean also. Cleaning the inside of the cup through confession is a very small thing. It's really a small thing, if you think about it. How's your marriage? It's going okay. 
slept on the bed last, I mean, it's all right. Or how's your, how's your moral purity? Oh, you know, I mean, to share with a guy you trust where you're at is really small, if you think about it, right? It's, it's small. And I'm wrestling with faith, I'm wrestling with chewing tobacco, I'm wrestling with drinking, I'm wrestling with porn, I'm wrestling with my marriage, I'm wrestling with uh, being a narcissist. I mean, fill in the blank, right? I'm an, I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a workaholic. But when you're able to do that, it's such an easy thing to do. But it yields so much fruit. So I told you about this cup, but I didn't tell you about the carabiner that I bought on purpose. Because this carabiner, if you buy a carabiner that's a, a, a normal carabiner that's made to lift things, it will hold 1,000 pounds of weight. That little thing. But its breaking point is five to 6,000 pounds. In other words, if you're hanging from a rope, you have a better chance of falling because the rope snaps than the carabiner breaking and losing support. This little thing has power, more power than you can ever imagine. So when I look at this cup, I go clean the inside and hang, hang your confessions out there because there's power in authenticity. There's power in rejecting self-preservation. And so what I tell guys is, and this is so hard, guys. I mean, I know some of you guys are battling some demons right now. You've got some skeletons in the closet, and you don't know how to share them. It's really hard that first time, isn't it, Todd, to say, I am a porn addict. I am a narcissist. I can't stop with this addiction. I hate my seventh child. I don't know. Whatever you want to say, it's hard. So this is a reminder to me, is to say the words to a confidant, you just hang them out there. Click. Speak the words, hang them out there. Let the person who you trust digest it. Sometimes you just have to hang them out there and let the weight of that confession support itself with the person that you trust and love. And I'm not asking you to do that tonight. Don't worry about it. Don't stop sweating. It's okay. I'm like, it's gotten really hot in this room right now. It's gotten really hot. I'm not asking you to do anything. All I'm asking you to do is consider this for me. Consider finding a person that you, I've never, John and I don't hang out, but I knew I could trust him. And I appreciate what he's done for the community. So I just went out to John. I go, hey, man, you're my guy. All you got to do is say yes. And he said, I would love to do that. But I'm very selfish with confession. And I'm going to confess that to you right now. And here's where I am selfish. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And I'm not confessing so John can take it for me and be a lightning rod. I'm confessing so I can have freedom. So I can have healing. I'm so selfish with my, I'm selfish, man. I'm a dirtbag. I want people to know I'm a dirtbag because I want the power. I want the power and the weight of this little thing hanging out there. I want that. And I want that for you guys. So all I'm asking you tonight is I'm asking you to consider with me a find and a bro. Could be somebody at your table. And just go, man, you know, there's some stuff I'm really not comfortable sharing here. Can we get a cup of coffee? And I just, I want to share these things with you guys, with you. I would just, I just would hope that a couple of you guys tonight would just go, you know what, in your heart, 
I'm not a big, you know, I'm not a big pray the sinner's prayer guy. I'm not a big, you know, let's have this big altar call guy. I'm just a guy that, you know, I trust that God will work in your heart. And then when God works in your heart, you respond. Because really, at the end of the day, isn't it between you and him? It is. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to go to small groups in a second. But I had somebody come in here tonight, and he wants to confess to you guys. He had no idea what the topic was. He's only been here once before. And he shared last week. And uh, if you, Jeff Twangy is a friend of mine from back about five years we've known each other. Uh, his wife just died five weeks ago. And he felt led to confess something to you. And he brought a letter. He just wants to read it to you. And all he's going to do is read the letter and sit down. But we had no idea that the, you had no idea what I was talking about tonight. He had no idea. He doesn't even have our, I don't think he gets our emails even. But I thought, you know what, this is a God thing. So I'm going to ask Jeff to read his confession tonight. So Jeff, will you come and read? Before I read this, um, all I'd ask is that when I get done, just, just let's just sit in silence for a minute. There might be somebody in here that this means something to. James 4, 7 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10 says, Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. This is the most difficult thing I have ever exposed about my life. But God showed me by exposing darkness, we take away its power. And when we discover danger on the paths we choose to travel, we owe it to those who come after us to put up warning signs along the way. Selfish pride was the original sin. It was what got the devil kicked out of heaven, Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, and has destroyed countless marriages. Maybe you are, but I was not always a good husband. God, in his mercy, chose to take my wife over a period of time so that I would have the opportunity to change. Diana endured much and cried many tears over my prideful, selfish, arrogant behavior. Had she died suddenly, I would have been left with a burden of guilt I don't believe I could have borne. I knew I had a problem. I just didn't realize what it was. It was selfish pride. I hated my behavior, but I couldn't change, not on my own. So I actually asked God to break my pride. My advice to anyone reading, my advice to anyone hearing this is think long and hard before you pray that prayer. Beginning nearly two and a half years ago, God took me up on my request and went to work. Shortly thereafter, I wanted to die. Not figuratively, I really wanted my life to end. The transformation took 18 months, and aside from a few short periods which I believe God granted to save my sanity, I was tormented nearly every waking hour of the day. There was no rest except for sleep. It was the most painful thing I have ever endured. I have no plans to ever discuss the details of what happened, but let me assure you, God knows us better than we know ourselves. Why did it take so long? I was a slow learner. God knew for it to be real, he had to take me all the way, and I had to be ready. <sighs> the night it ended, I stood alone on a windy beach. Dropping to my knees, I cried, shamelessly begging God to release me from my torment. Yes, I was willing to do anything. I had nothing left. 
I'd been ground into the sand. Then he went to the deepest, darkest part of my heart and dragged up the worst slime I could imagine and laid it bare. Though it was night, I could see it illuminated like in a beam of a spotlight. I could no longer hide from who I was. On that night, he showed me I was no one special. I was simply one of the many. What made me special was that Diana had chosen me to love. She had chosen me out of all the men in the world as her husband. She'd taken my name and given herself to me only. This ultimate revelation coupled with all the rest was too much and my fi pride finally broke. And as it broke, I was free. The selfishness, the arrogance, and the torment faded away. Suddenly there was room in my life for real love. Not the kind you have for one of your possessions, but the kind you can only have with your wife in the state of holy matrimony. I was no longer looking for what she could give me, but consumed by what I could give her. And with that change, even as her body wasted away, her soul blossomed. One day, each one of us will stand before God and give an account of what we have done. One of the questions he will ask us as husbands is, what did you do with the gift I gave you? Together with the creator of all things, you will watch as all the events, thoughts, and emotions of your life will be laid bare from the moment you married your wife until the moment you parted. Will that be a time of shame and regret or a time of joy? The beauty is you get to decide every day. Husbands, our wives are like gardens. And since the very first man, Adam, it has been our job to tend them. Like every garden, they will always grow what we plant in them. The love and care we put into them will determine if they produce a bountiful harvest or a patch of weeds. No matter how great the ordeal I endured in having my pride broken, it pales in comparison to the thought of living with the guilt of never making things right. God granted me a reprieve and I grabbed it and held on for dear life. I put everything I had into it. I could never make up for what I wasted, but it was a lifeline thrown to a man sinking in quicksand. And in his mercy, provided a way for my life to be salvaged. If you are struggling with the same thing, hopefully this story has exposed selfish pride for what it is. Put everything you have into getting it out of your life. Don't let it steal your joy. Don't let it steal your marriage. If I can keep one other man from suffering the fate I narrowly avoided, I will consider it a success. I wish you well, brothers. I love you. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.